0: Welcome to Heavy Strategy, the show where we take two sides on a debate, agree, disagree, uh, take different corners, get even. One day, Jonah and I will actually meet in person. I'm not sure if it'll result in fisticuffs, but it might, might. I
1: doubt that. I (laughs) doubt that, Greg. We seem to always arrive at a violent agreement
0: with emphasis on the violent. Well, it's an iteration process. The purpose of heavy strategy isn't to answer the question. It's to ask it and then discuss the ideas and to recognize that everybody's situation is different, everybody's position, everybody's, you know, where, and there are multiple paths. I actually disagree with that in principle, because I think most people will end up in the same place, but you might think that you're unique and special. So you ride that little unicorn all the way you want.
1: Sorry. And that's where Greg and I sometimes disagree, because I do think that you can save a lot of time and energy if you're willing to listen to people who've made the mistakes for you. And so I don't mind giving people answers. Greg feels that we should be just raising the questions, <laughs> but I think that's okay. There's an area we can dis- we can agree to disagree, and it's, it's an example of exactly what he says.
0: Speaking of listening to people who've done it before, today's show, the topic was professional development. What is it? How do you do it? Why you might want it? To throw out some ideas about how you and I think professional development should look like. And I think we come at this from slightly different angles, but I think we're going to end up like we may sometimes do, often do, ending in the same direction. I think the first thing we should take a stab at is what is professional development? I think professional development at its
1: simplest is about getting a better job, but what does it mean to have a better job? And I think as engineers, it's not just about having a fancier office or more pay. It's actually about having the ability to affect the design of the system, which is the IT system you're working in. And often I see a scenario where the youngest people, the smartest people, the people with the freshest credentials and degrees can see clearly what the mistakes are, but they're not in a position to to have the impact to fix them. And that's what's behind a lot of the frustration where people say, I want to have a better job. Me- they mean, I want a job where I can fix things to make them the way they
0: should be. For me, professional development is to recognize that the core of your work is a thing. And for engineering or IT professionals, it's the technology that you're in, whether you're a network or a storage or a server or a, a cloud, off-premise cloud specialist, whatever it might be. That's your core. Professional development is not your career development. It's the things that go around it. So professional development, to me, is why is this vendor introducing this product, not the product itself. The product itself is a given. It's a technology. It's a thing. You go and read a manual or, or the specifications and decide if the product fits you. But it's uh, one part of it is why is this vendor moving into SD WAN? Is there a market reason for why? And does that market move affect my career personally, but does it also affect my employer who's paying me to provide them with advice? Um, Are there wider economic issues? For example, we're heading into a period of what probably seems to be higher inflation and supply chain problems. Well, the question there is, as a professional, does that affect my technology strategy? And the answer is yes. If you can't get a supply chain order fulfilled and you're looking at a year-long lead times on some products, or we're seeing uh, vendors say, commit to a six week lead time in the sales cycle. And then as soon as the purchase order lands, they're re-syncing you to three months and then out to six six months. So the realistic thing as a professional is you should be trying to write contracts on your supplier, for example. And this is not a technology problem. This is a straight up business problem, that if they fail to deliver within three months, they should get penalty clauses, right? And of course, they're going to invoke force majeure, If you don't know what force majeure is, then you should know. And that's professional development. Does that make sense? What I'm thinking about is one of the best
1: pieces of advice I got relatively early in my career is the concept of the T-shaped consultant. And what that means is you start, you get very deep in your core area, whether that's security, whether it's cloud, you know, networking, whatever it is, but professional development is really about getting that breadth. So you're never as deep in areas that aren't your core, but you're broad enough to put together the big picture, which is really yeah. what you're talking about, Greg. Yeah, so, something you, know, you need to be. You've, you've synced in this whole non- notion of supply chain, this whole notion of looking at market dynamics, mm. which is, you know, you may never, as an IT person, you may never be as Deep in market dynamics, as say a finance guy or gal, you can apply that to what you're
0: doing, and that's part of the T in the T-shaped consultant. So I've maintained um, most professionals should now be thinking about what I call trident-shaped skills. So the day of the T, which is one big specialty, and then a, a flat layer of broader skills. So that is, if you're a networking expert, you develop a broad set, of, a shallow set of skills across a wider range. So you might know some storage, you might know some server. And then you might understand some business. You might know a little bit about purchasing and things like that. I have a belief that you actually want this trident shape or or an inverted W or an M shape, however you want to call it. And the idea should be is that instead of being very deep on one topic, you probably better served as the industry moves forward for most technology professionals. Not all. There's always going to be a place for a technology expert in a given field. But most people will be better served having two or three disciplines where they're reasonably expert and that is going to serve you. And maybe you still have a core competency. You're very deep on one, you know, that, that leg of the, of the M into one technology, but maybe, you know, you need more than one specialization because the days of the networking expert is much more being replaced by, are you going to be a service mesh networking expert? Well, if you're a service mesh expert, you're also a Kubernetes expert. And now all of a sudden you're into containers and you're into automation and you're into, you know, all of that stuff suddenly changes. You're still might be networking centric, but your skills are much more multi-pronged coming down or as I call it a trident shape.
1: I like the idea of the T and the trident and it's certainly worth thinking about which one you are. I'll, I'll pick on something, Greg, that you said, which I agree with, but I want to highlight for most technology folks, you're better off with a trident. There are a handful of people who are best off getting very, very deep in one technology. These people will remain subject matter experts all their lives. And that's a good thing. You know, these are the typically the people that go out and get patents and multiple patents in multiple areas. And they're really forward looking deep divers. We need those people. But I think there's a, a mistaken understanding floating around that if you're not one of those people, professional development means getting better at your core competence. And I think Greg and I both agree that while getting good at your core competence are is table stakes, both of us have a favorite saying, which is, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. (laughs) You already know if you're the kind of person that will be better than anyone else in one core area. You already know that. If you're not, don't try to be that person and think in terms of the combination of areas, the trident, that you can be good at as you also weave in other areas like You know, finance, like market dynamics, like project management, all of those good things.
0: If you're early in your career, and generally if you're listening to this show, you're not, you know, you've probably had 20 years of damage caused to to your mentality and your personality. Um, But if you're early in your career, I think a specialization is key to establish you in the scene. But as you go, professional development is what you gain, which is, I used to call it when I was younger, I used to call it cunning
1: Like Hmm. there's a difference between smart
0: smart and cunning, street smart. Examples of that is how to ask your boss for a pay rise in such a way that he wants to give you a pay rise or how to sit across the table from a vendor and understand that this is an adversarial position, not a partnership. Even though they might say, you know, oh, we're here to be your friends. We're going to love you to death. We're going to—that That is not true. Your job is to fight for the best possible price under the best possible terms for your employer. That's what you're paid to do. You're not paid to be nice to the people on the other side of that equation. You should not be paying premium prices unless you receive something premium in return. You should be getting the best possible price. There is no reason to be nice to a supplier in any way, shape or form. That does not mean well, being impolite or disrespectful, but it does not mean that a steak dinner should change your mind.
1: I've found experientially that you have a couple of options. You can treat everything, every interaction with a vendor as adversarial. You can be overly nice, or you can explicitly go for a win-win and Mm. constantly check yourself. You know, first, you have to understand what the other other party considers a win. Second, you have to understand which pieces of that you're willing to, to concede, And third, you have to be brutally honest about where the interaction is now getting away from being a win-win and getting to something that is now Mm. a win-lose. And I found that the most successful relationships are win-win when both are truly committed to win-win. Everybody says they are, but they're not. Mm. And you're actually able to affect that. And you can even say, listen. I understand that you want this because it's a win for you, but it's a loss for me. So under the terms we agreed, we're taking that option off the table because win-lose is off the table. And but that's, there's, no, that's there's really... never
0: such a thing as a win-win either. At best, it's good enough for me, good enough for you. Because for somebody to win, somebody has to lose. It's inherent, right?
1: Uh, I disagree with that because I think the definition of win as being very narrow. Certainly, if I want to charge you, you know, one hundred and fifty thousand, and you only want to pay ninety thousand, any price that isn't ninety or one hundred and fifty is a lose for the the other party. That's right. But I think there's a much broader. So if you scenario. meet in the middle,
0: the correct but, is but the correct a syntax is lose lose. If you get to one hundred and twenty k in the exactly. middle of that, then both people lost.
1: Exactly. But there's a it's much not a win win. It's a lose lose. That. Only if you look at the Mm. negotiations strategy as simply one-dimensional. If you look at it multidimensional, you know, a bigger picture win can be, okay, I'm giving you this deal for $90,000, I lose on this, Mm. but we also have now built a relationship that over time is going to be worth $10 million Uh, because of the way we're... Relationships are worthless. I I would absolutely disagree. I've Mm. I've had that scenario happen again and again, not necessarily a personal relationship with the person, but... If the company is the kind of company that employs the people that you can do business with on those grounds, you'll get treated fairly when you don't have to be, and that becomes a win. It's the right way to conduct any negotiation, and here we could we have a
0: good faith negotiations with honesty and integrity. But the idea that the that the party on each side of the table has a relationship that is anything but adversarial. Your goal is to get the maximum I, amount of supply. I, that I just c-
1: couldn't disagree more because mm. I found experientially that's not the case. You can set up you set up a scenario where everyone understands you're working for something that both parties have to have to win. And the true loss here is no engagement because yeah. they wouldn't be talking to you if they didn't want to engage with you. You wouldn't be talking to them if you didn't want to potentially engage with them. Yeah. And the lose here is no engagement. If you well, take they- the relationship where it is and then build it into something that is acceptable on both sides, you may quibble over whether you want to call that a win, mm. but longer term, those relationships across the board are not adversarial well, because I don't, both I don't of you are. Working. A,
0: I don't have a relationship with my microwave supplier. When no. I bought a microwave from my supermarket, I don't have a relationship with it. Right? No, but how
1: much time so what, did you spend negotiating with the supermarket? None. Because it was a fixed fee. Right. It was a commodity. That, to my mind, there's Obviously. no difference between
0: buying a microwave from a supermarket and buying a million dollars worth of routers. It's the same thing.
1: Yeah, right. that's because routers are commodities. But lots of other services are not and yes, come they with... They're, they're all the same. Professional they're, they're services.
0: Not. Yeah, they are. No, and I the I, people I, involved might disagree. glom on some other intangibles that they've got mystical powers to be able to do stuff right? But at the end of the day, they're doing the same thing as anybody else. And in the 30 years that I've been doing networking, I deluded myself over and over and over again that these people were going to help me and to work hard. And you know what it came down to? It came down to one person at the pointy end who was willing to make a little bit of extra effort, but the company behind it could not care less as long as they were making a profit. All they wanted to care about was whether they got their money and whether they got away with it for the minimum amount of effort.
1: I'll agree with you that the p and profit is always bigger than the B and p in partnership, so I would never agree that a partner you know that a partnership is meaningful but i would also simply say if you're always taking an adversarial stance in negotiation you're you're coming away with yeah. with deals that are suboptimal and i've been doing it for 30 years too greg <laughs> um, and i i can really that's point that's not to the say yeah, but
0: remember what i said that doesn't mean you're impolite or you're disrespectful no. you just need to be aware as a professional being nice to these people or liking these people or pretending that they're going to be your lifelong friends is 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 a falsehood it's it's not about the personal relationship. Definitely.
1: I would say I would say that's the other piece to keep in mind. It's not a personal connection that you're making necessarily. I mean, you may yeah. discover that this person is, in fact, a lifelong friend. I have some who are And they move to different companies and change roles. And that's fine. And I do, too. And that's fine. More broadly, you know, you're doing business together. The goal is to get to to craft a piece of business that works for you and works for them Mm -hmm. and not to get the best possible deal for your company, no matter what the other party does. Because when you do that long-term, that becomes not the best possible deal. That's all.
0: Let me diverge a little here. I want to talk about loyalty. Uh, So I wrote a career handbook. What I did over the last 10 years is when you get on social media and put yourself out there and you go to conferences and meet people, what I did for over 10 years was collected all the questions that people asked me and collated the topics together into a career handbook. And I've published it in four sections. It's free. It's on the website, right? So it'll be in the show notes, a link to it. But if you just go to Packet Pushes and search for career handbook, you'll find, I think it's 200 pages of my condensed, pithy, cynical, rather blunt, uh, as I say in the title, uh, blunt spoken advice for IT professionals from someone who survived 25 years of enterprise IT, right? One of the things that I wrote in here is that loyalty, so I was raised with an idea that loyalty was key, that you should be loyal to your employer and that your employer would be loyal to you. My lived experience in the last 30 years is that that is no longer true. There may be personal loyalties between me and another person who said, I commit to doing a good job for you if you treat me respectfully. But in terms of the company being loyal to you, there is no two-way process. In the you know, in the era that we're in, in the 2020s, the company pays you money from here until Friday or to here until the end of the next pay cycle. And after that, if you if they don't want you, you're out of there. And you need to have a vision of loyalty that what was you know in the nineteenth and twentieth century, the workers gave loyalty to the company, and the company paid them back through, you know, pensions and benefits and and you know all those types of things. Long service leave. When was the last time you saw a company give long service leave? <laughs> we do.
1: I'm not disagreeing at all with what Greg's saying because uh, I agree that it's loyalty to people, yes. Loyalty to a corporate entity, absolutely not. And I would also say, Greg and I are both Gen Xers. You know, even starting our careers, we looked around and went, "Hang on, there's a whole bunch of." things that people have told us about the working world that aren't true anymore. Mm. I would argue that anyone listening to this is probably a millennial or possibly even hopefully a centennial or whatever they're calling it Gen Y, you're well aware of the fact that all these old fairy tales about how things work. Yeah. You know, I would also argue that one of the big problems is, you know, private equity firms and financial guys playing fast and loose with any ordinary company. Side note, there's a company that I really, really like that makes cast iron frying pans out in Tennessee. And one of the big things they've said a million times is they will not sell out to Wall Street. Wall Street keeps trying to buy them. And they're a family company. They've been a family company for 150 years and they actually have loyalty to their employees. Most companies aren't like that. Let's just agree.
0: Yeah. So the data point that I put into the booklet was the average length of a company on the Standard & Poor 500, that's the American index S&P 500, Is now uh, twelve years, and then I go on to sort of talk about the genealogy of the wireless industry. And how Craig McCaw started McCaw, which became AT and T, which was then sold, and Nextel merged with Sprint, and then you know all this stuff, right? So if you were employed by any of these companies, the people or the institutions don't stay the same anymore, and that's part of the reason that the loyalty paradigm broke down. I think we agree that loyalty to your employer is a thing of the past. The loyalty that you need to have these days is to yourself or to your goals, right? To your family, to your partners. And to the
1: people that you have found are trustworthy. Um, In your your working environment, you can quickly learn which people are trustworthy. It's a very simple step. Are they Mm -hmm. doing something behind your back that is the same as they would do to your face? Are they honest? And here's another thing. Are they honest about when they make a mistake? That's probably the single biggest. If you want one test, can I trust this person? If the person says, you know what? I screwed up here. That means all of their other traits are what their traits are. They don't have a tendency towards the pathological or or the sociopathy, which is to cover up and present a good exterior at all costs. That's probably the single biggest thing you can check to see whether someone can be trusted. And if okay. they can be trusted, they may be trusted not not to necessarily do the right thing, but at least you can trust that they will behave in a, in a coherent fashion.
0: The other thing about professional development, to my mind, is where you get it from. How do you develop skills outside of your core technology bent? Let's just say that training exists. For the purposes of this discussion, and we could slice and dice this semantically and and in various ways if you like, but let's say that training is what you get for your technology specialization. So you can go and get that anywhere. That's become industrialized. There's various forms of online courses that you can take, online training. You can subscribe to O'Reilly Safari and get every textbook that's ever been created and training course. That's training. And vendors specialize in training because that builds loyalty to them. People people buy what they know, then they'll live through the pain of a bad product if they feel like. But how do you get outside of that? Have you got some suggestions about, I know what I would do, like listening to this podcast is obviously one of them. Because we're talking about business, we're talking about mind, like going lateral away from the technology into the business issues. But what suggestions would you have?
1: My simplest suggestion here is learn how to learn. Hmm. And that's an incredibly important thing because most of us learn only in the context of school. So we sort of say, okay, I teach myself the way I've been taught. That's one way to learn. Um, But really learning is when you throw yourself into an environment where you're not very good at it, you have no intuitive knowledge of how things work, and you have to figure it out. In our company, most of us speak multiple languages and most of us have learned the same way. Uh, I went to school in both Norwegian and Italian and walked in the first day and couldn't understand what the teacher was saying and had to figure it out so I didn't fail my classes. Uh, that's the kind of environment you want to throw yourself into because when none of it makes sense and you learn how to make it make sense in your head quickly, then you can translate that to everything else Greg and I are talking about. If you want to learn finance, if you want to m- learn mm-hmm. economics, if you want to learn project management or any new technology to get that trident-shaped you know, trident shaped engineer. But you have to be good at the core discipline of, of learning, which is not the same thing you've been doing in school all this time. And that's, I think, the biggest challenge is breaking your head out of the mindset that you only learn from, you know, textbooks and homework and lectures and that all of those have to be in place for you to learn. You don't. You so figure you're,
0: you're, you're running into the into the line of reasoning, which says every opportunity is a learning experience. Mistakes. Are exactly.
1: Experience. And, like, and actually, that's an excellent point. Do you agree with that? Or do you yes and think no. it's a,
0: So yes, a learning experience for you, but your learning experience is a pain for somebody else. And that's what people forget. I recently agreed to appear on somebody's podcast. You know, they started to get ready. And I said, like, are you going to talk? They didn't have good microphones. I said, are you seriously going to record like this? And they went like, well, yes, your audio quality is appalling. And it turns out that they're actually just doing the podcast to network, like to make friends that they can leverage for business relationship. In other words, very selfish for them. And they wrote later on and said, Yeah, well, it's a learning experience. I said, well, and I was sitting there looking at the email going like, a learning experience for you, but for me, it's a massive waste of my time and a massive pain in the arse for me. And they turned up ill-prepared, lazy, incompetent, and saying, oh, it's a learning, you know, it was a learning moment for me. Don't do that.
1: I could not agree more. And I would add to that, how to avoid those things? Know when you don't know. I've had this case with employees, and it's very frustrating when you say, I need you to do X because why and you explain why why they need to do it that way and the and I always follow that with if you know a better way to do it that addresses why go ahead and do it your way Mm -hmm. and inevitably a certain set of employees will just do it differently because they felt like it and (laughs) then it goes predictably wrong just as Greg in your example and then you're like you know what you just did you wasted my time Mm -hmm. my advice and your own time because you could have done it the right way and then Focus your efforts on improving the right way and finding another way that was even better, which because there is no one right way, but there's certainly a right general direction. So, yeah, think about that and and make sure that, you know, when you don't know and Mm -hmm. take advice from the people who do. And I actually don't care who the people are that know if I judge that they really know what they're doing based on their results. I don't care if they're a 10 year old, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. someone with no college degree or a Ph.D. I'll listen to them and learn.
0: Don't say it's a learning experience when you've just caused the other person a lot of work, right? Exactly. Yes, it might well be a learning experience, but I'm very tired of people using Learning on your dime. Learning on my dime and my effort, you know, like uh, don't make that mistake. Uh, Another thing is um, don't trust your career to someone else. A mistake that I often see other people doing is saying, oh, my boss is going to do my training for me or they promised to give me. And so I won't start doing Learning, or I won't start thinking about that until they do. Right, your career is your fault, your ability to develop as a professional is your responsibility, and you can develop without other people's permission. So, I understand that you might need cash or help, financial help to access training, but in the meantime, you can read blog posts, you can listen to podcasts, you can watch YouTube videos. You can learn a lot by reading the the economics pages and the business pages of a newspaper and go and learn a little bit about the share market, because the share market actually massively drives the technology companies to an enormous degree. Right now, for example, the reason that we're seeing so many technology companies turn to SaaS and this idea of subscription revenue is because the shareholders expect these companies to smooth their revenue streams where before technology companies would have big quarters and blowout numbers and then the next quarter. And shareholders don't like that. What shareholders want from these technology companies is steady, predictable revenue. So the share price is stable and profits deliver on a timetable. And they don't want uncertainties and surprises. They don't want to see a drop because this this particular new product line that was promised didn't ship on time or whatever. And so shifting to subscription revenue is seen as customers can't leave, the revenue is guaranteed. We can predict how much revenue the company is going to make for the next three, five, and 10 years. They call it RPOs, Remaining Performance Obligations.
1: And that's, you know, we're sort of drifting back into the vendor relationship bit, Mm. which I would say is an important part of professional development. And hopefully you've got some nuggets to take away thinking about your relationship with vendors. I think we talked a little bit about your relationship with your employer. I would emphasize though something that Greg just said, which is your your biggest and most important career development, professional development, is your relationship with yourself. That gets back to being loyal to yourself, as well as to your colleagues that you have determined you can trust. The other piece to that, I think, is you need to be honest about what you like to do and what you're good at, which hopefully, but not necessarily, overlap. Mm. Um, And you you know i think there's sometimes particularly in technology there's a sense that something is particularly sexy and you need to go get good at it you know today it's all mm. about coding and everybody needs to code and everyone should be a coder you know there is certain truth to that you should have a base level understanding of how to code and how to program because it's part of making things work these days. Let's be honest, if you're actually the guy or gal that gets everything organized and runs the team and can be the project manager, that's actually skill and a direction that's incredibly important and can lead you wherever you want to take it. But don't try to pretend that you're a coder. So some of this is really self-awareness, knowing what intrigues you. When Greg was talking about the whole idea of taking responsibility for yourself, Hmm. what I was thinking is while you're doing that, pay really close attention to the things that you like to learn and the things that you want to master particularly the ones that are hard yeah that's a clear indicator that that's something that you may not be good at but can become good at and if it's testing you and you're loving loving it despite the testing then Mm -hmm. you're not just watching a youtube video because it's easy and fun and you can eat chips while you're watching it you really it's a sign that this is something for whatever reason you really want to master
0: there's a trade-off there there are two yeah. types of skills in this world, hard skills and soft skills. Correct. Hard skills have distinct value. You either have them or you don't, and they either have value or they don't. That is, if you were an expert Perl programmer, maybe not so useful as being an expert Python programmer. Hard skills have a problem. You know where you are. If you have that skill and that skill's in demand, you know what exactly there's a there's a level of determinism uncertainty yeah. around.
1: I, I wouldn't right. say it's quite that binary, but yes, in yeah. principle, I agree.
0: I want to see where you're going. Yeah. Soft skills are a difficult one, right? Because when I hire a project manager, how do I know if they're good at it? How do I know? Oh, if- I
1: don't, I don't see project management as a soft skill at all. There are. We used it's, to call them secretaries. It's not a te- uh, well, then you did it wrong. Yeah. Um, no, you, literally. You, it's well, then, not. The original term. Not, so so let me secretar- just give you some history here. The it now, is I would disagree with you. It is absolutely not. A good project manager figures out where the problems are going to be, knows how to drill deep enough into the technology or the specific technical issue to understand how to mitigate those and mm-hmm. stays one step ahead of it. If your person is just sitting there checking boxes off and saying, could you tell me what the but that's exactly uh, what, what the, the dependencies sec- are? That's exactly that, what a good no, secretary that, does. No, a good secretary is checking off boxes, trying to make something look good. When a, I a first started out in technology
0: we had engineering secretaries and their job was to specialise and to know this type of stuff. And in fact, if you go back into the history of of project uh, engineering, it was actually started by NASA when they started putting rockets up. And what they realised was is that they needed to have people who weren't managers, not engineering managers, but people who were just... Managing the secretaries of the managers to be able to bring streams of work together.
1: We're thinking about project management very differently then, no, no. because in my, in my world, so the original
0: world management. of NASA yeah. was sorry one project but, manager to fifty to a hundred project secretaries. There was literally a group of people who did the work of meetings collating reports gathering data raising purchase orders and, and that's of that not was project, a project management
1: movement. yeah that's none of that is project management that might have been what nasa thought project management was in the 1960s mm-hmm. but project management in the real world leads up to program management which is really getting the art of getting things done mm-hmm. which is a combination of technical ability personal ability being able to figure out what people's strengths and weaknesses are and you have to be extremely fast on your feet to get very deep for example one of your favorite things greg is supply chain yeah so a good project manager not only asks himself or herself about supply chain issues thinks three steps ahead and challenges the engineers by saying and what is our mitigation yeah, that's strategy that common supply. sense it, that's it is secretarial a work I would Schedule I would a meeting differ. room, a,
0: understand the purchase But that's not what process. I'm talking about. I'm not talking
1: about that scheduling That is what you're talking about. That's all
0: project managers ever do is do the paperwork, the scut work. They bring me so tea. There, there, they order there, the I pizzas. They make sure there's access to the building. They make sure I, I tell them what they need to 100- do and off they go and do it.
1: I would disagree with you 100%. You have been yep. abusing your project managers because a good project manager for one thing if you go online and look at pay scales, a good project manager has a higher pay scale than That's most technology SMEs. Their way. They they speak the language of executives,
0: right? And this is I, my I point. As a professional that. technology professional, you can swindle your way into the same sort of role as a project manager by saying I am a technology project professional and pretending well, that, that you know about that is, purchasing. That is and,
1: true right? because like anything else, you can claim that you know Python. You can have passed all the tests but actually not be, be able to code your way out of a paper bag. Similarly, somebody can come in and say, I'm PMP certified, blah, 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 and not be able to get things done. Yeah, but PMP but certified basically
0: str- means you can run a, Prex, a Microsoft exactly. project and, a, and an Excel spreadsheet. That's not skill. Uh, exactly. That's common it, sense. Ex- it doesn't uh, require well, anything but you know a good weekend with a... The help exactly, which is why go, I'm right? saying
1: the certification doesn't matter, but I would I would say it is common sense in the true sense of common sense, which is that it's highly uncommon. Actual people who can organize a team to get things done are few and far between, and that's why they have the head of the company is usually called the chief executive officer, mm-hmm. because that executive stands for execution. And a good project or program manager, mm-hmm. you can tell that they're good because they get stuff done. I always that treat is, my... The only reason they look like they're
0: getting stuff done is because they're doing a million pieces of scut. Work. You've been you've been doing it wrong no, then because I promise you, when I work with a project manager, I get stuff done because the project manager does all the work that I don't want to do and I'm down there doing making the technology engine hum. And their that, job is to get that me that access the to buildings, you... to get the product on site. And all that sc- that's all secretarial jobs, right? That's just process. I There's w- no magic in there whatsoever.
1: Oh, I love what you said. So yeah. here's another thing, dear listeners. Greg just said just process. Yep. I will submit to you that process uber alles. Process beats technology every single time. You can yeah. have a, an indifferent technology and in a good process, and it will beat a great, the, best, the best technology with a poor process.
0: So my response to that is I always design technology knowing what the process is. And maybe that's the secret of professional development. There's no point in designing it just saying I need these technology requirements, and I'll. Do, the, if you take into account as a as a professional with a wider expectation, you might say I want that technology. That would be the right technology fit. But if I look at the supply chain, I know that that's not practical. Therefore, I need to design my technology for the process, and know what I. Or you might find. I want to do this, but there are reasons why the process won't let that design or that strategic decision, technology decision work. So you adapt and you change. So my point is, is that a really good technologist who understands the wider scope knows how to make sure that the project manager doesn't have to do anything but secretarial work.
1: I would disagree with that because the project manager is the person who understands the process better than you. And if if that's not true, then you're doing the wrong thing. Because if you know the te- process better than you know the technology. A, process, a
0: purchasing process is really straightforward. You know, getting a product delivered, straightforward. The hard part is finding the time to go down onto the delivery dock. And oh, get but that's the, not the level you
1: know, of process we're talking about. Certainly that's important. But but as you start thinking about the process, we get to the one of the things that you really like to harp on, and I think both of us agree on, which is that the process should be in the service of delivering a business outcome and making that connection between the process and the business outcome is not simple. It's not trivial. And it's not just common sense because it requires a broad understanding of, of all the moving parts. And those are the kinds of things that a good program manager has that if you're a technologist, pure technologist, if you have time to learn that, then I would submit you're probably not a very good technologist, but you may be. An up and
0: coming program. Manager. But my point would be is that as a, a technology professional, you still need to understand business process.
1: Absolutely. You know how does how does a couldn't, pro- couldn't agree more. How does a purchase order yeah.
0: get raised? Why does it have a budget? What does a budget mean? If you rely on a project manager to do all that for you, you'll never be. Uh, good- I, I
1: would disagree. Because it depends on the quality of the project yeah. manager. However, hmm. you need something more important than simply knowing the current process. And this is actually kind hmm. of perhaps a good equally, place to wrap up. Let table. me finish, let sure. me finish yeah. Greg, because yeah. I'm making an, an important point. You need to understand why the business process is what it is and master the discipline of the five whys. This is something that the Japanese came up with back in the 80s, which is when something is happening a certain way, you ask, why is it happening this way? And then you ask, whatever the answer is, why that answer? And keep going until you understand the true reason that something is happening a certain way which usually is several lo- layers down which which is why they call it the five why's.
0: And it's also once you understand also
1: that often once stupid. you understand that no oh, it's actually not. The why's but are once often you know like yeah the why's are because yeah. you get to the bottom and it and it turns out because this is the way we did it in 1963. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you're like, guess what? It's not 1963 anymore. Well, this is how the article so,
0: accounting system raises a purchase exactly. order. or Our and legal team wrote these conditions 25 years ago, and nobody. And yeah. that's
1: when you can begin to redesign the process to make mm-hmm. sense. That's not but project as a management. That's just common sense. Uh, yes, and common sense is distinguished by its its uncommonness. Yes. So you can you can say it's not project management. We can agree to disagree on that point. Yeah. But. Regardless, if you're a technologist, you still need to master the art of the five whys. Because don't accept business requirements as coming from, you know, Moses on the Ten Commandments. Ask why and ask why again and ask why again. And then and you can potentially discover
0: whether you can change it. Sometimes exactly. sometimes things what are, sometimes things are exactly. mutable and sometimes things are immutable. exactly and pick your
1: battles pick your battles battles. yes Yes.
0: if you get to the point where the purchasing team says this is how it is and it's never going to change you go okay and then you go back and
1: and 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 start refreshing your resume because somebody that is wedded to a process that may be obsolete is not somebody you want to have any kind of (laughs) long-term loyalty to
0: (laughs) well and that that is that is one piece of career advice I give people is always have one eye on the door always be ready to leave always be ready to move on Because that's the era that we live in, is that your employer isn't going to last. The team of people that you live with aren't going to be around for five years or 10 years.
1: And that's the cynical take on it. I I would give you a more optimistic take, which is quite simple, that in many cases we see people sink into tunnel vision. Hmm. So they do things a certain way because everyone around them does things a certain way. And because they restricted their network of people, the people they interact with, to just their, their their work colleagues. You should be interacting with an awful lot of other people and have a broader, Uh, you know, a broader sense of what the industry is.
0: Okay. So at this point, I want to say you have to understand what you want out of working. Are you working to live or living to work? People who often say, "Oh, you've got to have a, a range of contacts, and you've got to know people in the industry, and be reaching out and finding I don't mean that. I don't. And... No,
1: I don't mean. I don't mean that. No, I'm just making. Networking. What I'm doing is making the That's point. That's not that... what I'm saying. No, I understand yeah. that.
0: Well, what I'm saying is you've got to be careful not to hear that and think, "Oh, I've got to spend my life finding contacts and no. other people." The point here is that just about everything we've said is about how to work for a living. That is, your right. job should fund your personal life. You have to work yes. to have a personal life. And the goal here is to get out the other end, surviving it without having any, without having uh, too much mental damage, you know, or well, emotional damage and on the way through.
1: The, the example I would use, I've been dropped into school systems and, uh, you know, you go into a school system and there may be a hierarchy, particularly in high school. It's like, this is how everybody is. There's the jocks and the, you know, the, the jocks and the cheerleaders and the nerds. And I just sat there and went, yeah, this is how things are in your world. Mm. And I've been in other worlds very recently where things are totally different. So I will accept that in your world, the dynamics go like this, but never lose the consciousness that there are other worlds. And that's what I mean, yep. is not, not doing that tedious, obnoxious networking, but never lose the consciousness that there are other worlds. And some of those worlds are the mm-hmm. worlds you mostly want to live in, and you work in order to live in those worlds.
0: So if I bring this around, professional development, let me try and wrap this up because we're running very long here today. Yes, we are. You're
1: going getting, to have an editing
0: job. <laughs> getting, wider than the, getting wider than just your technology set, understanding business, understanding the why of business, understanding process, understanding that there's a why in the process, but maybe the why is stupid, but that's just the way it is. Being aware of your personal situation. One of the things we didn't get to touch on, which is what do you want from your job? Do you want to work? Do you want to do 120 hours a week? Some people do a few do. I, you know, but also remember that the people around you aren't, you know, maybe that's a choice they make and respect that. And so profession, being a professional is more than just being, knowing your ISIS and your OSPFs or understanding that a six slot chassis needs two power supplies with these part numbers. It's also about the whole, um, the business process that straps around it, but also about the people and their emotions that are attached to it. That, would be a very loose definition of professional development.
1: I would say so, and I would only add in that professional development is about gradually becoming more and more aware of the wider world and applying that knowledge to what you want to do next.
0: Well, thanks for listening to Heavy Strategy. I'm Greg Froe and Jonah Till-Johnson from Nemerti's Research is with me if you've enjoyed this why don't you head on over to packetpushes.net and check out all the rest of the shows on this network. If you if you want to give us some feedback, head on over to our FU page where you can send us follow-up, packetpushes.net slash FU. Uh, it's anonymous. There's no need to give us your names and addresses or anything like that. Just tell us what you think, good, bad or indifferent. We're happy to hear it. Uh, and it would be really helpful to us if you would tell your friends about Heavy Strategy. We're just getting started here. We're only into our 12th show. Um, And we'd like to get a few more people listening along so that we could uh, maybe get more engagement and have some more fun. What do you think?